Welcome to Plateau Partners Pulse, a show about business networking and ideas brought to you by the Plateau Partners, a BNI chapter that's located in the greater Seattle Puget Sound area. I am your host, Stacey Heller of Stacey Connects, and I am joined today by my friend, Cherry O'Neill. Well, hello there, Stacey. Hello there. <laughs> Cherry, uh, Cherry is the force of nature behind active transformation. Yes. I mean... I say all the time that your name, I'm like, she is an act of transformation. <laughs> like, it's just the perfect, uh, it's the perfect name for what you do. Right. Well, and the reason I chose that name is because if I'm working as a coach, and that's what Active Transformation is, a life coaching uh, business, and I, I chose that name because it implies that there's an interaction. It's not about me telling somebody else what to do. It's about me collaborating with a client, finding out what they want to create in their lives, and then finding out how we can work together to help them get from point A to point B. So it's very much something that they take on and I walk with them as they make that journey to hold them accountable, to help them uh, feel supported, to feel encouraged, and so on. But it's basically a, an interaction, a collaboration mm -hmm. between the two of us. You are uh, like a Sherpa. I love that analogy. <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll get into it a little bit more when we get into kind of the meat of what you do and why I say that. Um, but first, let's do the speed round, <laughs> okay. which never seems to be that speedy. However, I like to call it the speed round. Okay, so since we already name know your name, right. um, childhood nicknames. My nickname was my name, Cherry, because my legal name is Cheryl. And so I, my parents called me Cherry from the time I came home from the hospital. However, there were a few smart Alex in school that called me Grape or Pit or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> those types of things to, you know, just kind of play on the name That's Cherry. Funny. Right. <laughs> Kids are cruel. <laughs> Clever, but cruel. Okay. We already talked about your business name right. and the fact that uh, where that came from mm -hmm. and uh, that you really want to be a verb in people's life mm -hmm. and that you encourage them to be a verb. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about your business. I mean, you already mentioned right. that a little bit about what you do. Mm -hmm. So go into a little bit more depth. Well, I originally started Active Transformation because I thought I might be able to help particularly young people. I've always had a heart for young people. I raised five kids of my own who have gone through their own uh, formidable challenges along the way, um, but particularly kids that go through a really difficult time where they're either in a, a rehab program or a treatment program or a boarding school or whatever, where they've had to go away and learn life skills to replace the ones that they did or didn't have before. But then they're released back to their old environment and how do they apply the things that they've learned in that old environment so they don't make the same mistakes. And I thought it would be great to walk alongside a young person and help them, you know, figure out how they can stay on a path that's healthier, uh, more productive, and hopefully reach a goal in their future. And I loved the idea of helping them find out what they're passionate about, what they want to be moving towards, mm -hmm. not just what they want to be moving away from, because I think that that positive motivation is much more powerful than just trying to stay out of trouble. You've got to have something that you're working towards. So that was why I originally started my coaching certification training and everything. But then I found uh, after I got my certification that there were other 
uh, niches that I could also fall into quite nicely, whether it was parenting or working with people who have uh, struggles with eating disorders or body image or perfectionism or that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. and people who want to create a meaningful third act in their life, which is kind of what I've done by starting my business. So Right. Well, and it's interesting that if we, even if we um, haven't, like in the examples that you gave of young people that are maybe struggling with something, whether they've had to go to rehab for um, maybe addiction or an eating disorder or mental health or whatever Mm -hmm. the situation is, behavioral, um, there's those formidable challenges that you talk about. However, all of us could benefit in some ways from nurturing that child, right? right? And so many of the things that you work with your clients on are things that are so helpful for all of us to remember and to go back and and touch upon. Mm-hmm. So it's it's yeah. not surprising that you have found that what you do translates into so many different demographics or niches, as you say. Right. And, you know, what that happened when I wrote my book, too, because I wrote one of the first first person accounts of overcoming an eating disorder way back in 1982, 83. Called Starving for Attention. Right. And um, when I wrote it, I thought it would have a particular audience, of course, for the people that were struggling with eating disorders and those people who love them and were trying to support them. But I found with the incredible number of letters that I received and people that I encountered when I was doing book tours and so on, that there were so many people that found something that they could identify with that didn't really have anything to do with an eating disorder per se. It could be perfectionism. It could be low self-esteem. It could be struggles with, with, you know, family or right, parents. You know, or, struggles with parents, right, or whatever. And I found that there were so much more that was kind of universally applicable to people as they read that book. And so that's kind of what the coaching business has become, too. It, you know, I started with one thing in particular in mind, and it's expanded much further than that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you so much more than, you know, there are lots of coaches and counselors and uh, consultants and whatever that they get the certifications like you do and they have the training and those kinds of things. More so than so many different people that I know, you have truly walked the walk or been a witness to <laughs> right the walk and can really say that like I have been there mm-hmm. and touched the flames of hell <laughs> and danced around them or in them right, or whatever exactly <laughs> and like now let's you know let me let you uh, you know assure you that you can come back from that and mm-hmm. I, there's so many things that I can talk about with that and one of the things that I share whenever I get the chance is that when I was in high school then, so Cherry, you published the book in 82, 83, mm-hmm. uh, f- you know, move forward a few years to 87, mm-hmm. maybe. And I, for my health class, had to write about something, um, a topic that impacts young people that maybe I don't know about. So eating disorder it was, and there's there was not a lot out there really at the time. Right. Certainly not a firsthand account. Mm-hmm. And so what is the book that I found? <laughs> Starving for Attention. Lo and, and behold. <laughs> who knew that many years later I could genuinely say that you would become my friend? Right. And mm-hmm. I learned so much about that. And it is um, 
it's out of print right now, but yeah. you can find copies of the book. And it's it's amazing how transparent you were in the book and how helpful that is. And that is something that's so powerful about the coaching that you do is mm-hmm. that you are so transparent. And I think that really gives people hope. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I think that before Brene Brown started talking about vulnerability, um, I felt that that was the only way I could have an impact with what I shared uh, regarding my story was that if I wasn't completely and brutally honest about what I went through, there's no way it could have the kind of impact that I wanted it to have. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to, you know, kind of quote, pants myself before the public, but I had to be careful about making sure that the things that I told that involved other family members or whatever was okay with them. And so I, I made sure that I checked every chapter with my parents and I even gave them an opportunity to write their own little yep. chapter at the end. My mom and my dad each had that opportunity so it wasn't about being, you know, writing a mommy dearest or a daddy dearest. It was about me explaining what my perspective was mm-hmm. and what my experience was. And if there was something that I remembered in a certain way, not necessarily the facts, my parents could correct me on that. But Perception. if it was perceptions, I had to be, I had to relate what I had perceived because that was what caused me to make the choices and pursue the behaviors that I did was because of my perceptions. Yep. Well, and the uh, the small or not so small elephant in the room that that Cherry is not mentioning is that, you know, you were not the average person writing a story. Mm-hmm. You are Cherry Boone O'Neill. Right. Which for those of you um, smart enough, old enough to know Pat Boone and the Boone sisters and um, Debbie Boone, Debbie Boone right? <laughs> and You Light Up My Life. Cherry is a part of that family, which means that you, from birth, were in the public eye. Right. And so the fact that you were so transparent, anyone that is that transparent and open and willing to share, and as you say, pants themselves, <laughs> is a big deal. Somebody that has been under the public scrutiny for a long time. Mm-hmm. That takes that much more courage. Well, and not just public scrutiny. I mean, I've often said that being Pat Boone's daughter was kind of like being a celebrity's kid and a preacher's kid all at the same time. It's true. So, so there was, you know, there were expectations from several different segments of society, you know, not just the secular, but the the Christian world sure, as well. So, yeah. And, you know, and that's, again... When we get to the question, we'll see what words you come up with to describe mm-hmm. yourself. I have my own. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I know for a fact that even prior to uh, the pandemic, you can work with people uh, remotely. You don't mm-hmm. have to be in person. Right. So that's a non-issue. Mm-hmm. So um, people that are listening from any part of the country, um, you know, you have such a special, unique perspective, and it doesn't matter. You can connect with them. Right. Um. How long have you been in BNI, though? I've almost been in BNI as long as I've had my business. I was really fortunate enough to meet a business coach that was helping me when I was first establishing my business uh, and getting my website and business cards and that whole thing. And she happened to be a member of the Plateau Partners chapter, and so it's I have been a Marie. Yes, so I have been a member for I think I think I'm starting my eleventh year. Wow. If I'm not mistaken. Because my oh. I started my business in 2011. Okay. And I joined BNI a couple months after I officially started my business. Wow, so, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, Look at that. 
Uh, okay. I'm an OG. You the- are <laughs> an OG. You are totally an OG. If you don't know what that means, people, look it up on the Urban Dictionary. Um, okay. BNI as an organization. There's. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you next about our chapter specifically. Right. However, BNI as an organization, what is it that made you decide to join BNI versus something else? Well, a couple of things. Initially was starting a new business and never having been in a business at all, never even having been a real employee for a, a regular business, I needed to find a way to get the word out about what I was wanting to do. And BNI seemed like a perfect opportunity for that because it was word of mouth, um, kind of free advertising from the other members in your chapter. And and I loved the concept of giver's gain, that uh, what we give to our chapter members, we end up gaining back a hundredfold, you know, because there are so many other people that are out there, you know, pushing and rooting for us while we're out there rooting and pushing for everybody else in our chapter. And so I I loved that concept. I loved that business model. Um, And I love just having people that I could glean from and learn from as a new business owner who knew nothing about business. (laughs) Right. So yeah, all of those reasons. Love that. Okay. So then our chapter, obviously you were introduced by your business coach. Mm -hmm. What is it though about Plateau Partners that um, has kept you coming back for almost 11 years? I, I think that First of all, just the people, the individual people, the way we all kind of relate to one another, it kind of almost feels like an extended family. Um, We not only care about each other's businesses, but we start to care about each other's lives and families and all of the things that are uh, beyond just the business. And I think as you become more connected to those people and more involved in their lives, it it becomes a a deepening relationship that you want to continue. Mm-hmm. And so that sense of family, and I love the fact that we can laugh, that we can make fun of ourselves and each other, and we all take it in good stride. You know, nobody gets their noses out of joint. We can all just have a good time. Um, I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's that family, that family feeling and that sense of connectedness that I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. We often say to our visitors when we're being especially a rowdy bunch that, you know, we all absolutely take our businesses very seriously. Right. However, we do not take ourselves too seriously. (laughs) Right. And I love that. You know, there's just so many struggles as a small business owner, whether you're, you know, as you were and I was at the beginning, uh, whether you've established yourself, um, things can get same old, same old. Mm -hmm. And you need an energy that's going to constantly be invigorating what you're do, what you're doing, how you're doing and those kinds of things. Right. So it's nice to have fun. Right. Dare I say it? Gosh darn it. Okay. Uh, the words like, know, and trust are very commonly associated with BNI. Mm-hmm. What are three words that are associated with you? Um, I think empathy is one. Um, I think listening. And I think um, compassion. Those are three things that I think are very much an important part of coaching you have to be able to listen and put yourself in the other person's place and feel what they're feeling. And uh, I'm also a very positive person, which gives me a great place, a great, you know, uh, foundation to start from. I always try to look for the positive, the silver lining, the possibilities. And I think that's a good 
kind of personality to have if you're working as a coach. For sure. So it's it's funny. In season one of Plateau Partners Pulse, I would ask that question and then I would inevitably have like my own words where I'm like, those aren't your words. <laughs> and season two, I have been better about that. However, those are your words and so are. <laughs> See and, what I'm doing here? Both and, and, right? <laughs> I think that uh, there is a resilience or tenacity about you mm-hmm. that, you know, gives people that are dealing with whatever they're dealing with hope that not only can you survive this, but you can thrive and go mm-hmm. on to, like, tell the story. And as as I said, you know, go and pretty much touch the flames and come out with that positive attitude Mm -hmm. and one where it's like, let my experience be one of service to others. Right. And I definitely agree with you on the positivity. I have never met a more positive person. (laughs) And then I would say that you're also, I can't decide between learner or curious. You have a very elastic young mind. That's Hmm. like, I want to learn. I want to, um, I want to know better so I can do better. Exactly. Yeah. I would, I would say that's, yeah, that's definitely true about me, whether it's um, in my um, business life, in my spiritual life, any of those things. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, never kind of stuck in a box that I'm not willing to explore beyond. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so something that is um, unique about you, we already we already shared with everybody uh, your fun fact with uh, your family. Right. What's something else that uh, would maybe be a point of connection with somebody that's going to work with you that would make them feel like, oh, they like playing Pokemon. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so what's what's your thing? I am an absolute fanatic about films and, and television. I mean, I've been a fan of TV and, and comedy, uh, but also drama. I just... I love watching movies, and I think it's because I've never been a good reader. I always had trouble reading novels because I have difficulties with a little bit of ADHD and my eyes bouncing around on the page and so on. Uh, But watching a movie and having a story, a powerful story told to me through film or television has always been something that I have really uh, connected with. I feel that the power of storytelling um, can be immense. Mm-hmm. And it can help people look at their own lives. It can help them look at ways to change their life. It can give them hope that there is a possibility for changing their life. So I think that's definitely, I mean, if you want to talk to me about movies. Oh, she could. <laughs> like, I love, I get messages and DMs and texts and like, watch this, see this. And 100% of the time she is dead on. And it's like, it's, it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. I mean, the whole thing. And right. um yeah, it's and it's interesting because having grown up in and around the business, you're not jaded by that. You still understand the transformative power emotionally, physically, mentally of movies, mm-hmm. music, uh, the whole thing. I right. love that. That's a good one. Good, good for you. <laughs> okay, what is your, would you say, is your top most frequently asked question? Uh, one of them is, do you take insurance? Um, which I don't because coaching is not a regulated field. Mm -hmm. It's relatively new out there in the world of transforming people's lives. It's not like uh, counseling or therapy or psychiatry. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But I also like to point out to people that even though we don't take insurance, our goal is to get you from point A to point B in as efficient a way and as quick a way as possible because we're about getting you back out there and performing in your life the way you want to and living the life that you say you want to live. So we don't keep you in therapy or in, you know, psychiatry for, you know, long periods of time. It's more about getting you, like kicking you out of the nest and getting you out there to fly as soon as possible. Yep. There's the active part. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, my favorite question, which I seem to be alone in this a lot more than I'd like to be. Favorite curse word? As I've told you before, I'm not a big cursor. No. I can tell you that my kids will actually laugh because I do say this. Crap and stink and poop. (laughs) I don't even know if we have to bleep that. I'm just going to make it sound like I'm going to make sure that that our producer, Eric, bleeps it just so that it it can seem much more dramatic. Right, right. Yeah. So, perfect. All right. Well, on that note, let us take a quick break, and then we are going to go more into depth with Cherry O'Neill of Active Transformation. We'll be right back with Plateau Partners Pulse. Do you get overwhelmed by everything in your life you don't love, leading to paralysis and creating a life and business you do love? Specialized in working with service-based business owners, Tara Loxo helps you assess, prioritize, and take intentional actions to hit your business strategy that creates the business and life you dream of. As a mental fitness and leadership coach, Taryn has a unique set of tools to guide clients away from just making a living and intentionally aim for creating a life you love. To learn more, go to TarynLoxo.com. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Stacey Heller. I, again, am joined by Cherry O'Neill of Active Transformation. So (laughs) way back at the beginning of our conversation, I used the analogy of a Sherpa Mm -hmm. to describe what you do. Now, let me tell you my reasoning, and then you can let me know if I'm on the ball with this. Mm -hmm. So you talked about the whole idea of it being an active process, that it's very collaborative. Mm -hmm. And... It seems like with a Sherpa, I have not uh, ever Climbed had to Everest, use. Yeah. <laughs> I have not ever had to use a Sherpa. <laughs> I'm sure I will not. <laughs> However, it seems like a Sherpa has like already been there. They figured out like the footholds. Mm-hmm. They have like established camps at various spots where they're like, "This is a good place to rest." Mm-hmm. They know where to store the Snickers bars and, (laughs) you know, when to take a break and what to expect and that kind of thing. However, they don't take anything away from the people that they are working with Mm -hmm. because although they have done it, it is still a feat to summit Mount Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. So that feels like what you do. And I think that's a fairly accurate analogy. I mean, I definitely feel that way. Part of the reason I wrote my book initially was to say to people, you can recover from this. I know because I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I'm coaching with people, whether it's with an eating disorder or 
challenging parenting situations or trying to find meaning in a certain segment of their life now that they've raised their kids or finished working at a job or whatever, these are all things that I can say, I know you can do it because I did it. And Mm -hmm. if I can do it, there's no reason you can't do it too. Well, and, you know, all of the kind of the hot button topics that you might need support and coaching either as an individual or a parent or a significant other, you have, again, had that impact. I mean, eating disorder, um, addiction, Mm -hmm. um, mental health uh, concerns, um, I'm trying to think, uh, like behavioral issues, uh, learning disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh, what am I not covering? That I mean... You have been a witness to all of these things mm-hmm. um, and and dealt with them with such grace. So you really can speak to it. Right, right. I like like we've said. I'm I'm not just wa- uh, talking a talk. I'm walking a walk and continuing to talk about it. <laughs> right, right. Because I I mean, in the same way, twelve step programs work for people and have been as more successful than just about any other form of of treatment mm-hmm. when it comes to addiction. Um, it's because the people that have been on that path already and are a few steps further than you mm-hmm. can say, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. Yep. This is, I'm here for you. If you feel like you're starting to slip, I can come in and bring you encouragement. Uh, I can, I can support you. That's, it's a similar type of thing as a coach that I can do um, because I've been to so many of those challenging places myself. Mm-hmm. I, I used to think, you know, like I'd come up for air and another wave would hit me and I'd, you know, just keep coming up for air and another wave would hit. And I would said to myself, when is this ever going to stop? When am I going to get a chance to come up and stay up for a while? And I realized that's not life. Life is about the waves coming and coming and coming. And I realized that rather than asking the waves to stop coming, I needed to learn how to surf. Because, you know, if I didn't want to be taken under, Mm -hmm. I needed to learn how to ride the waves. And so that's kind of how I see what I've done in my life is that I've been able to say, okay, here comes this wave. How do I surf this one? Right. And kind of lean into it Mm -hmm. and, you know, trust that the wave isn't going to take you under. Right. That you can, as you say, surf it, which I Mm -hmm. love that. It's such a, a graceful and eloquent way of dealing. So... Let me run some scenarios. Okay. So let's say I have a friend and we're all chit-chatting and my friend confides that uh, their son or daughter are um, either have openly admitted to having an eating disorder and need help or maybe are in the process of getting help or they're concerned that their child has an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So... As you mentioned, there's 12-step programs, and there's lots of things out there where Mm. you can get information. What's the benefit of reaching out to you and talking to you about this versus searching the web and trying to find all these other? I would say in that case, the benefit of coming to me in a situation like that is, like I say, I've, I've been there. I've been through it. I struggled with an eating disorder for 10 years of my life. I didn't think I'd be able to have kids. Um, my reproductive system had shut down and the organs had shown signs of atrophy. I mean, it was serious. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and yet here I am now, the the mom of five adult children and four soon to be five grandchildren. Grand, I'm grandmother of them, and you know it's the fact that I was able to survive those things and come through the other end. It's not. It wasn't by accident. It mm-hmm. was because of things that I learned, things that I applied. Um, some of it, I think, was the answer to prayer. I mean, finding the doctor that helped me at the time when I needed him, but my being open and willing to work with him was mm-hmm. part of that process. And so I, I feel like it's not like a doctor who's saying, I've studied this illness. I know, you know what you need to do and what, you know, what will work. It's more like, I know the thought processes that you're right. going through. I know the feelings that you're feeling. And I can call BS on some of the games that you're trying to pull on yourself and other people, but I can also empathize with what you're feeling and know that it isn't about food. It's about something else. Mm -hmm. And we can kind of dive deep into that and realize, okay, what is it about yourself that you're feeling less than about or that you are struggling with so that we can build that up? I mean, I remember when my therapist um, said that I was basically just committing a slow suicide. Mm -hmm. And how could I find what I wanted to live for that was more important and more powerful than what I was actually doing to myself through my eating disorder? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the beginning of me realizing, okay, I don't want to die, but I also, this, this eating disorder has become my identity and I have to create an identity that is more positive than that and more constructive and powerful so that I can let go of the one that's been, you know, Mm-hmm. slowly killing me. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, you were in, you were actively dealing with your eating disorder for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the fact that here you are, you can speak to that, how it has shown up in your life um, now. You know, I, I'm guessing, um, it's been a long time since I read your book. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm still waiting for you to write the follow-up. Um, but I'm guessing that, you know, that still has an impact on your relationship with food, I would imagine, to a certain degree. And so you can speak to that with with people that are dealing with that so that they have some realistic expectations about, you know, it's not just the sunny, like, oh, yeah, smooth sailing. Like right. Once you put some weight on and, you know, you look at the scale and you don't freak out, like, you good. Right. No, yeah, I learned how to to find moderation in my relationship with food. I learned how to embrace fruit, food rather than fight against it and realize that uh, it's fuel. Mm-hmm. It can also be fun. There's no problem. There's no, you know, no reason that it can't be fun from time to time. Um, and I started listening to my body and what my body was telling me. And my body started telling me that I didn't digest animal protein well, so I stopped eating meat. And... I have definitely flourished since I made that decision, but I also would listen to my body and when it would say, you need protein, though, I would find ways to get protein that was not from animal flesh. And so just learning how to really be sensitive and listen to what your body is telling you is a big, big thing. And you can't do that when you're just listening to that voice that is telling you all calories are bad, you know. Right. You have to, you have to, it's not like other addictive behaviors either where the answer is abstinence the problem was abstinence right (laughs) right so i had to learn how to find that moderation and like i say make friends with food instead of seeing it as my enemy so Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's i remember you saying that to me about how 
that addictive behavior that's that's not about abstinence. And I was like, oh, right. Like it's that's a whole different thing. I was and, an expert at the abstinence. Part. Right. Like <laughs> nailed it. Not a problem. Um, but I you know, I you forget about that and it's a whole different thing. And, you know, listening to your body and it's it was always fascinating to me when I had written this paper all those years mm-hmm. ago and you know, um, in the research that I did and reading your book and, and other research, the idea of looking in the mirror and having such a um, disassociative reaction to what you see. Mm-hmm. And it shows the difference between, you know, looking at your body or, you know, whatever it is and really being in that place of learning how to feel. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's a lot of the work that you do is is really encouraging people to feel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about the number on the scale or, you know, even looking at yourself in the mirror. It's more about the health and functionality of your body. Um, Being grateful. Like I remember the first time I ever went for a long run when I was kind of on the tail end of my eating disorder. And I thought, man, I, I am so grateful that I have legs that are strong enough to propel me around this track. And I had never thought of it that way. It had always been about me trying to beat my body into submission. Right. And it was just a total change, a shift in perspective. And when you're grateful for something, you want to take care of it. You don't want to, you know, destroy it. Right. right. So that was a part of that shift for me. Okay. So it sounds like, going back to my question about, you know, working with you, it also seems like, you know, if I if I have a friend that's, has a kid going through this, that it also feels like there is likely an element of shame and there's a not understanding. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having somebody that is going to um, be a personal hands-on touch about this, that it's not necessarily going to be immediately like, you know, there may be somebody that really needs like inpatient treatment and, right. and all oh, yeah. those things. And like, you're all about that. Yeah. Just, yeah. Making a referral to where they need to be at right. that particular time. Exactly. For sure. But there is something about the idea of like, holy cow, I need to, it's like when you deal with sexuality or and your kid maybe decides that uh, how they identify or whatever it is, it's like having somebody that can help you and you can figure this out mm-hmm. with that guide right that's like right there yeah um it feels like a more gentle approach it is it it involves a sense of um, acceptance inclusion and non-judgment and i think that's really important when you're going through something that seems to have a stigma attached to it Mm -hmm. you know there's nothing wrong with you for going through these experiences it's normal for you to be going through these experiences because you're a human being and we human beings are subject to flaws and influences that impact us and that change our behaviors and our thought processes. It's just a matter of saying, okay, this is this is where I am now. This is what I'm dealing with. How can I overcome the challenges that are not serving me well right now so that I can become the person that I want to be mm-hmm. and see things differently? How can I change my perspective so that I'm not beating myself up all the time? And I can see the value that I have as a person and put that to some constructive use in my life. So I feel like I have a sense of worth. Right. It's like, how does this problem become an opportunity? Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So that's that's something that, you know, I would say to people that are listening, that if you know somebody or, you know, your own child or whatever it is, there's something really comforting and nice knowing that, you know, you're going to have a conversation with with people and you're going to share like, oh, this sounds like you might want to do this or, Mm -hmm. you know, you might want to do this and I can also help. And the fact that you're a resource, not only for the person going through it, but that you understand in the book that you shared and the way that you counsel people that these things, there's a stigma, not just for the person that is uh, going through whatever they're going through, Mm -hmm. but for all of those associated and how to to let go of the mantle of that. Right. You know, and I, I don't think that I would be divulging. I've talked with my kids about the things that they've gone through. And the fact that there might come a time when I want to share some of those things. And they're all fine with it. So I will say that I've also dealt with serious addiction problems with my kids. One of my kids struggled with addiction for 20 years and never thought that she would see the light of the day, light of day and has now been five years clean and sober. My son went through 10 years of addiction. And he is now over a year clean and sober and they're expecting their first child. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spent time in jail. You know, that's not something most parents, you know, readily say right. in public, but it was a fact. And, you know, he totally takes responsibility for the choices he made and the things that he had to learn in overcoming those things and, and facing them and trying to move on with his life. But to be able to say with all of those things that we've gone through, either myself personally or watching my kids go through them, and to now say, we're all doing pretty well right now. It's pretty amazing. And it isn't because as a parent, I became judgmental about their drug use or, you know, occasionally you applied some tough love. But it was more about letting them know that I loved them and I didn't want to see them damaging themselves. I couldn't condone their behavior, but I would always be there for them. And I would always try to be a resource and a help um, as long as they were serious about it. Right. And. I, th- I would say that my kids would, would say that that relationship has never suffered a breach. It has always been intact. And I think that's one of the reasons that you hang on as somebody that's going through a difficult time. When you know there are people out there that love you and will do whatever it takes to help you, you're willing to do whatever it takes to do your part, too. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of the things that has always struck me about uh, working with you is that So if I've got a situation where one of my kids can benefit from working with you or I could or whomever it is, Mm -hmm. I maybe don't know how to we all think we can parent our kid out of this Mm -hmm. or that it's some um, reflection of our parenting or that we're doing something wrong or we're not the right parent for that kid or, you know, mm-hmm. of course we make it about ourselves. Right? <laughs> right. And so the idea that someone like you then can help me understand better and help me deal with some things and also be helping my child mm-hmm. um, or again, like myself or whomever it is, there's like that, that attention and that care that you're talking about that it's like, well, if I can't be that supportive counselor and parent and mentor and person that's there, then Cherry's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's something, there was a, a study done not too long ago about the 40 developmental assets for raising healthy young adults. 
And one of them was having another adult other than parents who a young person can talk to and be completely open and honest with. And that was another reason why I was attracted to coaching in the first place. I wanted to be that kind of person for young people, knowing that they could come and talk to me and not expect judgment or ridicule or, you know, being put down or excluded or anything, that I would always be there to hear where they were from the point of view where they were Mm -hmm. and start from there. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. Okay, I want to take a very quick break. And then you also mentioned that you do a lot of coaching in kind of the the third act. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that because I also want to find out how many acts there are in this play. (laughs) So uh, keep listening to Plateau Partners Pulse. uh, And a reminder to everyone that the folks that um, advertise on this show are all members of the Plateau Partners. And they are all businesses that we like know and trust and are so happy to refer. So make sure you pay attention and use them often. Thanks. Tax law changes all the time, which is both annoying and stressful. Relax. Raj Prabhu is a CPA and enrolled agent and sometimes marriage counselor. It's his passion to keep track of, learn, and master the nuances of ever-changing tax law and requirement. He saves his client time and money so they can focus on their relationships because advising clients how to maximize money-saving strategies minimizes their stress. Raj speaks tax, so you don't have to. Connect with Raj of RLP Tax and Accounting, PLA. LC through his website www.rlptax.com www.rlptax.com Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk AM 1150. Welcome back to Plateau Partners Pulse. I'm your host, Stacey Heller. Again, I'm joined by Cherry O'Neill of Active Transformation. Before the break, uh, we were talking about um, a big part of what Cherry does, but it is not all that Cherry does. She works with people on a myriad of topics. Uh, But another favorite for you is working with people on their third act, as you say. Right. I, of course, am a smarty pants and was like, well, how many acts are there? And so... We were saying that, you know, saying that it's your final act, you never know. You could be like a Betty White, right? Yeah, I mean, really. And keep having acts. Right. I think for you, it's, um, and again, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, it's maybe people that think that their play has ended mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, I thought that there was already the crescendo and that everything had happened. Right. Turns out it's not over. Right. <laughs> so is I'm... Is that correct, what you mean by kind of that third act? Absolutely. I I remember watching my own mom uh, kind of go through almost a little bit of a withering Mm -hmm. when all four of, I'm the oldest of four daughters, and we're very close in age, three and a half years apart between me and my youngest sister. So yeah, about as close as you can have us one at a time. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of left home, left the nest pretty short in quick succession, right? And my mom's life had pretty much been about family you know, being our mom, being the homemaker, all of that, being my, she, she still remained my, my dad's wife, but, mm-hmm. but her, she had thrown so much of herself into raising us kids that when we left, I saw 
a part of her kind of flounder. And I remembered when I had kids that I didn't want to go through that as well. And some of the earliest prayers I remember praying over my newborn miracle child that I never thought I'd be able to have, you know, putting her in her crib at night, you know, not only praying for her health and well-being, safety and all of that, but also when the time comes to let go, Mm -hmm. help me know how to do that. You know, she was an infant, and I didn't know that it would happen as early as age 15 when she started getting into her, you know, drug abuse and experimentation and so on. But but, um, so I watched my mom go through that, and I didn't want to go through it. And I actually started my coaching business so that when my youngest daughter graduated from high school, Mm -hmm. my coaching business began like within a month or two after she graduated from high school. And so it was like... I didn't really plan it that way, but it was like that prayer I had prayed years and yep. years before was being answered. And and so uh, I think what happens to a lot, especially women, but it can happen to men as well, we, we go through this period of our, our own formation. That's our act one, mm-hmm. who we are, who we're creating ourselves to be, whether it's through education or career or whatever. And then there's the act where we start a family or we start a partnership with somebody and uh, you know, many of us have kids, and how do we deal with that? How do we su- uh, support our family? How do we raise our family? But then when our job and our family are no longer a part of our everyday concern, mm-hmm. that sense of, well, now who am I? Now what does my life mean? What is it all about? Right. And there are a lot of people who kind of feel like, well, I guess I'm done. And that's, I, I beg to differ. I think you get to choose now. And what I love to do in working with people that have kind of hit that phase is say, what was it in your life that absolutely lit you up when you had a chance to do it? And you might not have been able to continue because you had to be practical and work, you know, on mm-hmm. raising your kids or taking a job. But what was it that when you were doing it, you would lose track of time because it was just you were in the zone and it was what you felt you were meant to do. Mm-hmm. And in working with people, it's really been interesting to find out what some of those things are and how they can reestablish that and relaunch that thing that they never really had a chance to do a little bit more investigation and, and see what it would where it would go in their lives. I'm obsessed with this topic. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I am obsessed with the idea that if we all were to think about what we did when we were seven or eight, mm-hmm. which is usually for second grade. Mm-hmm. Think about what we did, especially for imaginative play, like not what our parents signed us up for, mm-hmm. but the thing that we, you know, were like, can I take ballet? Or, you know, you played office or you played maybe with Barbies or you, whatever it is that you did. Right. That there's a good chance that you wish that you were doing some part of that mm-hmm. in your adult life. It's kind of interesting because I remember experiences I had when I was seven, eight years old where I would go out of my way to help somebody that seemed like they were kind of the outcast or the person that... <laughs> I'm telling you, I need this is this it's episode theory, is not right, about right, me, right, right. but I'm just saying. And, and you're right. Now, question. So this third act idea. So I think about, you know... So my kids, I had them fairly early. So I'm 51. My kids have left the nest. Mm-hmm. 
So as you're describing uh, sort of the first act, the formation, and that all totally makes sense. It's Mm -hmm. like all that stuff that you're doing that will ultimately be the foundation of your personal and professional life. Right. And then act two is kind of the realization of your personal and professional life. uh, Kind of practical. (laughs) Right. The stuff that you have to do to survive, especially if you have a family. Right. So, you know, you've got the realization of, okay, I've, I've found a significant other. We're establishing a family. Um, you know, roof over our heads, food in our mouths, um, relationships, work to make it all happen. Um, so do you find that the third act is always at retirement? Are some people like, okay, well, now I don't have the same level of expenses Mm -hmm. and I've been really unhappy. Do you work with people that it's like, okay, uh, the idea of retiring and playing golf doesn't appeal. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, do you find that there's a certain demographic? Um, there are definitely people who are not ready to stop working. They still want to be working, but they might not want to be working in the field that they have up until now. They want to change. But there are definitely people who are at that point of retirement where it's like, I remember working with one woman who said, you know, she had just retired and her husband was about to retire. And it was like, I, you mean all I have to look forward to now is cleaning my house every day? Right. And I said, no, no. And I started asking, because she was depressed. I mean, you could hear it in her voice. Mm-hmm. And she was a little bit miffed that, you know, her son and his wife, who were about to have a baby, just automatically assumed that she would be their child care go-to without really working it out. They just figured, well, she's not doing anything. She's not doing anything. <laughs> right. Classic. But it was, you know, kind of like they were making an assumption. And... She was a little bit, you know, disgruntled about that. But the more we talked and the more I asked her that question, what was it that you have found yourself doing in your life that made you so happy that you didn't realize that three hours had passed, right? She said, I used to love tutoring kids and having that, watching them when they would have that aha moment when something would click and make sense. And I said to her, well, you realize you're going to get to do that with your own grandchild now. And it was like, oh, my gosh. She had not even thought about it that way. And that didn't mean that suddenly everything was fine and dandy and she was able to we say, okay, great, you know, nice coaching you. Right. Take care of those kids. Right, whatever, right, right. But, it's- but it opened a different way of looking at that particular experience so that she could then start to look at other experiences and create different ways of looking at them as well and start finding those things that had brought her joy and fulfillment in the past that she could now start adding to her life because she had the time and freedom to do it. And by the time we ended up our coaching relationship, it was like talking to a completely different person. There was excitement and enthusiasm in her voice that I had not heard at all when we first started coaching together. So, mm-hmm. Well, and remembering the value that you bring. I mean, I think so often when you get to that place where – If you're lucky enough to get to that place where you have your third act, Mm -hmm. then I feel like so many people have lost that sense of value. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, I'm not building this anymore, so I'm no longer a builder or an architect of something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to get in anybody's way and, (laughs) you know, like, oh, geez. Right. And we have a little bit of this kind of martyr syndrome mm-hmm. like you know don't mind me over here right you know i'll be fine um and 
I would imagine that we're you find in your coaching that we're all plagued by like the what we should be doings. Right. Oh yeah. And I mean, think that, I think that plagues us throughout our lives. But there's the practical aspect of having to raise a family and having to have a job, but that isn't necessarily there when we reach that third act. That we don't have to feel quite that that same kind of pressure that mm-hmm. we did when we were first, you know, in Act One and Act Two. And it's hard to let go of that because that's been with us for so long. But when you get to the point where you realize, I don't have to worry about what I have to do anymore. I get right. to think about what I get to do. I don't have to do the laundry every day. I right. don't have to clean my house. <laughs> right. I don't have to do the dishes immediately after dinner. Right, right. I mean, it's, 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 what, it's that shift in perspective. What do I get to do now right. instead of what I have to do? Interesting. I love that. Um, okay, so what are some other, share some other types of things that you do because we're only going to have a few minutes left. Yeah. So I want to make sure that you get an opportunity to talk about mm-hmm. um, other um, ways in which you can help people. Well, obviously I've had some parenting experience. <laughs> yes, you have. And so one of the things that I've um tried to help some people do, especially parents that are kind of the hovering kind of helicopter parents, is learning how to go from being a manager to a consultant with their kids. Um, You know, you have to be kind of hypervigilant when your kids are little and they don't have the sense to stay out of the street and stuff like that. But as they get older and they become more abstract thinkers and they can learn some of their own lessons, granted the hard way sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, we have to be willing to allow them to do that. It's much better to have your kids learn hard lessons within the safety net of their home before they go off to college and career and whatever, where they never had that opportunity to make mistakes. Amen. And so that's definitely something that that I another area that I've worked with people on is is uh, how to move from manager to consult. And I remember once my daughter said to me when I was forcing her to go to see a therapist, she didn't want to see. She said was so mad at me. She said, I'm not getting out of the car. I said, that's okay. And I called the doctor. I said, do you ever do, see your patients outside? <laughs> and, and the receptionist said, oh, I'll send them down. And she said to me, I hate you so much right now. And I said to her, don't know where this came from. I said to her, I love you enough to let you hate me right now. Mm-hmm. And those are just things. Those are parenting moments you can't plan. Mm-hmm. You just have to be open to what you know, what's going to be the best thing to say at that given moment and yep. and not filter it with your own sense of I'm mad at this kid or I'm frustrated with this kid, but just really let that feeling of, you know, I love this kid. Right. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Well, and it goes back to that commonly used expression of, uh, you know, you need to teach someone to fish. Mm-hmm. Right. So you need to teach them to have the skills so that they can go forth. Um, if people want to learn more about you and they want to contact you um, and potentially work with you, mm-hmm. where can they go for that? Well, I have a website. It is active-not underscore, but dash-transformation.com. And I also have a phone number you can call, which is 206-550-3809. And... Uh, I'm also on Facebook, Active Transformation, so you can contact me a lot of different ways, but uh, I'm around, I'm available, and I love to help. And she's amazing to work with. I cannot say enough good things (laughs) about Cherry O'Neill. So um, 
Thank you, Cherry. Of course. I love chatting with you. I always learn something. I have little bits of wisdom that are just <laughs> like crammed into my head thanks to you. Um, if you want to learn more about Plateau Partners, you can text BNIPPINFO to 55678. You can also find us on Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is BNI Plateau Partners. And again, if you want to find Cherry, go to active-transformation.com. Thank you so much. Thank you.